we're back. We're back with this week in Caribbean art and culture. And of course, I'm always here with the best team. And we have, of course, the person that we typically talk to that you hear us talk to all the time. He just joined us today instead of having us talk to the air. So starting off with Maria. Hi, everybody. Here's my NRTs. Susie. Hi, everyone. Suzanne Fredericks here. And this is Melissa Hunter Davis with Sugarcane Magazine. And we have James. James, say good morning. What up? <laughs> <laughs> so James does our sound. He makes sure that we actually get This Week in Caribbean Art and Culture out to you guys on time on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So we have such a great guest today that we're going to introduce later. We're really excited. But before we get into exactly who we have here, I would love to have a conversation um, about the work that surrounds this. So Maria, we had a conversation earlier in the year about shows that we should look forward to. And you brought us um, a show that's happening, The Whitney. Can you give us a little bit of background? Yes. Um, uh... This year, back in November, a an exhibition created by Marcela Guerrero, who is now gonna join us in a couple of minutes, um, or in, a, in several minutes actually. Um, it is it's a it's an exhibition that is called uh, No Existe Mundo Post Huracán, like um, there's no world post hurricane, and it is a first survey of contemporary. Puerto Rican art in New York in like I think over 50 years and it really uh, touched upon the impact that Hurricane Maria had on the island as some of you might remember when the hurricane um, you know happened it was completely <laughs> you know it was awful and, and, and horrific are not enough to describe the level of um, of death there was experience of trauma there was experience and it really shed light to some, something that us that um, were, um, I mean, I grew up in Puerto Rico, as some of you know, and we all knew that, you know, living there, the power goes off every, every day, every day doesn't matter where you live. So, and, and there was, there's a lot of um, um, struggle, like when you, when you live there in terms of just basic everyday needs and the hurricane put that you know, on steroids. And after the hurricane, and that was the thing that, that you know, was pretty impactful was that like after the hurricane, there was a, a lot of death and a lot of um, uh, damage. And then on top of that, Puerto Rico has an aging population. So uh, people that were dying were, you know, elderly, some, you know, people died from all ages, but elderly, they were trapped in their homes. People, there was any, there was no internet, like no phones, like the, the whole phone system fell off. And I remember myself trying to reach out family members and you couldn't contact them. So it was just a very, um, it, it was just a very um, important and significant moment in Puerto Rican history that, you know, that came to, that, you know, became a witness to a lot of trauma. And that, that moment, and when that happened, there were other hurricanes that affected the Caribbean. So it was just a very intense hurricane season that again, um, impacted the region greatly and, and you know, and, and kind of um, highlighted the precarious aspect of, of being in the Caribbean. 
And this show, no, so this show honors that moment and kind of takes us back to not only don't forget, but also the art and the creativity that came out out of, out of such an important uh, moment, right? So I want to ask about that because I remember when that happened, I remember the circus that happened afterwards. I'm not gonna call any names, we don't want any problems. Um, how have things changed since then? Was that a, a wake-up call to to government that supports the island that you know we need to put some things in place? Has there been any change or you know were things just kind of mended and people moved on? No, and I think this show kind of touches up on that and we'll definitely talk to more to Marcella about that, but there hasn't been, you know, um, and to just give you a, a number, the, the monetary loss is estimated at $91.61 billion, you know, which is like, you cannot, um, <laughs> you cannot really comprehend that. So that the, how this natural disaster affected the region. Puerto Rico, and some of you might not know, I think that is one of those um, stories that is perhaps not as talked about in the U.S. American contemporary imaginary, but it's a U.S. colony. You know, it's it's, a, it's an island. Then in eighteen, it was for five hundred years was under the Spanish crown, and then in eighteen ninety eight, it it was during the Hispanic American War when uh, Cuba became independent and the Philippines. That's that was like the last bastion of the Spanish Empire. That's when Puerto Rico becomes part of a, uh, of the U.S. And it wasn't until 1917 that Puerto Ricans were given citizenship because we are U.S. citizens. Um, and it was because at the moment, that's the moment where the U.S. was, start, was entering the First World War and you could only serve in the U.S. military if you had uh, U.S. citizenship. So we were given citizenship at that time. And till this day, even, if you're based in Puerto Rico, you cannot vote for president. We don't have, we have a a, a representative in, in Congress yes. and he's not a voting member of Congress, just there to listen. And just to give you like even more examples, when in the 19, uh, late, late 40s, 50s, when, the, when Puerto Rico becomes what is called a Commonwealth, which is like a quasi, it's like a nice word for a territory that has its own laws, but it's still under American laws and, and all that. Uh, there, was, there was a constitution that was drafted and that constitution was this passed to the US and the US made changes to it. And that's when it was passed. You know? So just to give you the level of, um, uh, of scrutiny and of, of, of lack of governance to a certain degree that the island has due to its colonial condition. So I think that you know, a lot of these questions of self-governance and politics and, um, and economics. Because for example, when we talk about the Caribbean and doing shows or doing shows across the islands or traveling across the islands for artists, Puerto Rico is a US territory. So that means that to go in there, if you're from Jamaica, if you're from Barbados, or you're from anywhere else in the region, you need to have a visa, a US visa, which is not the easiest, happiest, <laughs> exactly. Oh, go ahead, Susie. No, I was saying it's not the easiest visa to get. You know, it's it's very difficult. It's not. So there's also this level of like isolation with the 
like political and economic isolation, right? Um, uh, with the rest of the of the Caribbean, although there has been contacts through the Caribbean in its entire history. So, um, and just to give you an example, my own family, they are, my grandfather used to say that we were, his mother was French. And really what I think he means, I mean, they're all black. So I think that what she, what, um, or we're black. What he meant was that his mother came from a French colony because in Puerto Rico, there was an area um, uh, that was known as a free um, uh, area for blacks. And we can talk about it on another episode, but basically, you know, there's, there's history that, that other blacks from the Caribbean would just travel and go to that region to be free. So there's always been this contact among the regions, but then, you know, in its official uh, representation, there's a lot of roadblocks, right? So, so yeah. And so every, and you correct me with the years, every few years, Puerto Rican citizens get an opportunity to vote whether they want to stay as they are, they want to become um, to become the 51st state. Is it, do they also get the opportunity to say, we don't want to deal with you anyway, America, shoo, get out. Is that one of the Yeah, options? there is, since I was young, I remember those, those votes, but those votes don't have any, I mean, those votes, those votes, I guess, show the political state of the island. And there's been times where the statehood wins, there's been times that the Commonwealth wins. The independence hasn't won since I kind of, since I'm an adult, but since I, you know, since I, can, since I can remember. And we can talk about that too. But um, it doesn't really matter because it, ultimately it's a US, the US has to be part of those conversations. Oh. You know, we can keep voting and doing this still this representational act, but it really doesn't have any real consequences besides the political theater. Um, I would say, just my, my opinion, of course. Um, the independence, you know, I think Puerto Rico is certainly, we speak a different language. We have like our own culture that is certainly connected to the US. Um, but I think that, um, you know, that there's a lot of, bad propaganda sometimes of what that would mean for the island. I remember, for example, when I was uh, growing up there that you people would tell me, you don't want to be independent. You don't want to be like Haiti. And it's this idea that, mm -hmm. you know, if you think about the Haitian revolution and what a great moment that was in history, the aftermath of it, France with its allies, they put on an embargo on the island and helped to create the massive poverty that still happens to that day. So I think that that comment, even though it's very complicated racially and politically, it also points to the realities of what a major political power can do when they lose uh, a resource. Because ultimately, Puerto Rico is also a resource to U.S. corporations. I mean, we have to make all of our economic deals through the U.S. If you go there, you're going to find Boston McDonald's, Walmart, Costco, everything is there. So, so there's also like this benefit, um, uh, you know, the, the business class in this country um, gets from, from its colonial condition. I, and I also think that um, it will, like, for example, if, and I think now we're getting into a political realm that I know some of, but art is my forte, but I do think that if it would become, if, if it would become a state, because I think there's also some tensions with that, like, I don't know how a lot of Americans would feel of having a state in, incorporated into the union that the majority of people speak Spanish in mm -hmm. a country where you know it's very monolingual, 
and where um, Latin immigrants are seen in a very negative light by some groups of the of the country. And also, I think that the big states like Texas and California, and maybe to an extent Florida, like the, the states that have the most representative in the union would have to lose representative in the union. <laughs> so in, in Congress, so like it's, it's a very, um, there's a lot of parties involved and a lot of um, people that are gonna fight to keep their resources and the, you know, the, the, the things that they have now um, in place. Do I think it's a different country? Yes, I do. You know, it's, it's very different growing up there. And also, you know, you see even the Puerto Ricans that have been here um, for such a long time that they carry their, their culture so prideful because it's just a different thing. And I'll say that for me, one of the, even though Maria was uh, an, a horrific um, event, something that did brought up was the support of the diaspora. And I think that when I was growing up in, the, in Puerto Rico, there was a tension between like, let's say New Yorkans or New Yorkans that are in the US versus that, uh, is that people that are in the island. To give you an example, I had once when, when I had to migrate to the US, I had a friend call me like, oh, you're a, a petite Yankee, like you're kind of um, uh, being treacherous, like treason by not staying here. And so there was always that tension, but when the hearing happened, the diaspora, like we activate it. Like everybody from different parts of, of everywhere in the world, in the US and everywhere, we're creating this networks of resources and support that um, it wouldn't have, that, that I find it completely, you know, it's beautiful with, with everything that happened. And I do think that something that it connects also with the entire Caribbean is that for better or worse, one of the biggest exporters in the region, in the Caribbean, are people. Like, so the best minds in the regions are mm -hmm. not in the actual islands. Yeah. And the Caribbean experience is also a diasporic experience because even I never thought I was gonna have to move to the US ever. I didn't want that for myself. But I did grow up with an aunt living in New York and I grew up with aunts living in Boston. And I grew up, you know what I mean? Like, like this idea of people that are in and out within your family, mm -hmm. that's also part of what being Caribbean is, I believe. I love it. And so before we move into the interview um, quickly, since Maria, how Hurricane Maria that is, um, since that time, how have the arts institutions grown? Um, have they been supported with rebuilding, protecting, um, protecting the items that they have in collection? And what else is, how have they, they mobilized together to to maybe strengthen their voice or to be a little bit louder? Well, certainly, you know, one of the most beautiful and um, um, great things is, is not only the, the, the cultural sector in the island, and I think Marcella will tell us more about that question as well, but there's been a lot of support, not only by um, uh, foundations in the US, like Mellon Ford, but also Emmanuel Miranda and his foundation. Um, they, they've all been pouring money and really creating infrastructure to keep people there and people working in the island. And I'm sure that um, uh, Marcella again can tell us more, but there's been a lot of um, support and also for private individuals and people that um, have uh, stakes that either, you know, within, within the island. Okay, so we're back and we're joined by Marcela Guerrero. Uh, she is the Jennifer Rubio Associate Creator at the Whitney Museum of American Art, New York 
In the fall, the Whitney presents two projects created by Guerrero, Un Mundo Post Huracán, Puerto Rican Art in the Wake of Hurricane Maria, and Martin Gutierrez, Supremacy. Recently, she was part of the curatorial team that organized Vida Americana, Mexican muralist remake American Art, 1925-1945. In the summer of 2018, Guerrero curated the exhibition Facha Lacta Huasique, Indigenous Space Modern Architecture, New Art, and please forgive me for my pronunciations. Um, from 2014 to 2017, she worked as a curatorial fellow at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles, where she was involved in the much lauded exhibition, Radical Women, Latin American Art, 1960 to 1985, organized as part of the Getty Foundation Pacific Standard Time, LALA Initiative, and gets created by Cecilia Fajardo Hill and Andrea Giunta. Prior to joining the Hammer, she worked in the Latin American and Latino department at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, where she served as research coordinator for the International Center for the Arts of the Americas, Guerrero's writing has appeared in several exhibition catalogs and in art journals such as CAA.reviews, Art Nexus, Caribbean Transit, The Arts Journal, Gulf Coast, a journal of literary and fine arts, Interventions, International Journal for Colonial Studies, and Dialogo. Born and raised in Puerto Rico, Guerrero holds a PhD in art history from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thank you so much for joining us, Marcella. I mean, and, and congratulations and just everything that has come from the exhibition. It has been wonderful just to see the work and, and see also the honor and homage paid to the work and, um, and just congratulations as well. And for the listeners, if you have not read it, she also recently got a New York Times profile that is it's just a great piece and also to get to know her and her work, but also the practice and of cultural practice um, from Marcela's perspective. So I wanted to first ask you, you know, your show, something that I find very beautiful and captivating about the exhibition is that it's very, it's very political, but also personal. So I wanted to ask you, curatorially speaking, why do you think it's important to, to take such issues? And what does the work tell us about the themes hand. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me here in this um, great, important podcast. Um, I let's see that there's so many ways I think of answering that question and many different angles um, through which to enter that question. And I think, you know, um, personally, I guess the reason why I thought it was important and um, I wanted to do it was because I think, you know, in, in, in the kind of overall um, idyllic philosophical thinking of what art can be, um, for me, it's, it's a space, and what exhibitions can do for people, it's also provide a space of reflection, of um, a space to grieve, a space to, to feel emotions, really. Um, I think that's that's what's allowed. You know, I think in the profile, one thing that I, I've mentioned before, not only to the um, interviewer, but I I'm not a religious person, um, but I did feel, or I feel like when I'm in in museums and in spaces, that's that's kind of my church, and I imagine that's what people feel when they go to church. Um, 
you know, a space to where you can find things that you don't find in other mediums, in other spaces, you know, um, it's, it's also, you know, the, the, the reading that you have to do in a museum, it's not a verbal reading, you know, you have to kind of um, engage other senses and other um, modes of understanding the world around you. And so when I was thinking about this exhibition and what it could do, um, one of the things that I, I mention a lot when I talk about the show is, and why the reason why I chose a verse for the title, um, which is a, a verse by um, Raquel Salas Rivera, I believe he now goes by Roque, Roque Salas Rivera, maybe. Um, so the poem, um, you know, it's a book of poems and, and I felt that in that space of that book, I felt everything, you know, like I was seen, you know, it's, and, and I thought it was so brave um, for poets like him, he wasn't the only one, but many of them to, attempt uh, an exercise of um, of reflection and and I thought okay if a book can do this we, we this is also what we do you know it kind of I, I saw this parallel um, so so that's one reason why I think it's important for institutions to do this it's a service that we provide um, we are public institutions so um, you know if those of us who don't work for private collectors or um, so it's a, it's a you know a, a gift we we give and um, it's another form of literacy that we are encouraging people to engage on and um, so that's one way to understand that question. Um, I also feel like in the specific context of the Whitney, and you know it's, uh, all contexts are important. You know you can like just extrapolate and extricate uh, a theme from the context. So. The Whitney is a very specific context, is the context of American art. And we get to define, you know, for almost a hundred years, the curators in that this museum has have had the privilege um, to define what that means. And, you know, it's it's not lost on me that every time I see the collection, I know that this collection was formed by curators with specific. Uh, backgrounds and life experiences and you you see it you know it's not a neutral exercise um so the same thing goes with exhibitions you know the exhibitions that we organize at the museum are somehow uh an answer to that question of what american art is and you know it's as many of other curators who are doing this which is also super exciting we can talk about that later if you want um of thinking about the imperial and colonial history of the US and how that is reflected in the past or in the present in art, um, that is also part of American art. Um, and not so much to define what American art is today, but to make it more complex, to problematize it. What are those examples of artists who um, somehow are caught in the, you know, in this, in, in, in what, the policies and politi political issues of the U.S. is and, and practices, um, but yet are, are coming from a different perspective, are, are an anti-answer to American art. Um, 
and lastly i think the you know it's a really personal show and and i think in in the curatorial exhibition making tradition um in past generations we've shied away from doing really personal shows as if you can you know leave who you are at the door and um this was the opposite and, and maybe i won't not every exhibition will be this personal but i thought it would be a an exercise and and what that could yield curatorially um and i think all of that is seen in the show um you know you i i think that when you see the show especially again at the whitney's which is so close to chelsea you know and to like blue chip galleries you don't see that it's it's like you know i even think of gamaliel rodriguez who's a kind of a um a more visual arts traditional artist but it's it's so different from what's being done in in these or you see in in chelsea or in other parts so um you see you see all these responses in many different ways in the show um you know marcella and i we actually go way back and we have a lot of friends in common um, um and my sister is actually really good friends with marcella and some that I've heard from those friends, from like the personal friends, is that walking through the show, I felt PTSD. Like it took me back to, to those moments and it really kind of helped me process them in a different way, which speaks beautiful to what you're saying in terms of what museums can offer to people, no matter where they are at in their lives. And and you mentioned Gamaliel, and I was wondering what are other exhibition highlights? And I know it's hard because all the works have very special contributions to the exhibition, but um, but I was just wondering. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's hard to choose because it's like choosing a, a one of your kids who's your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe I'll answer it as as like works that I've seen that have resonated with people. And um, one of them is Gabriela Baez, Ojalá nos encontremos en el mar, hopefully we'll meet at sea, um, which is a, a kind of two different pieces, part of a long series um, of photographs that um, from, yeah, photographs and objects that belong to her and their family. So one of them, um, we have one platform with objects that used to belong to their father. Their father committed suicide almost at the year anniversary of the hurricane. Um, and then the other uh, kind of table has photographs of them like from family albums um, that are of Gabriela when they were a little kid at the beach, usually with their dad. Um, and they've and there's six of them. Um, and what Gabriela has done is with red um, thread, they've connected every part, like the eyes are connecting to um, the eyes in the up in another photograph, and the hands and the mouth. Um, and um, Gabriela has made like this network of red thread connecting every photograph. And I think what people like about that is that's in a section um, called processing, grieving, reflecting. And so, you know, when it has to do with the hurricane, it, it wasn't, you could, I couldn't ignore it. You know, that, that theme of 
um, the Los Muertos de Maria, the deaths of Maria. Um, so it was more about how to talk about it, how to be um, careful, how to give people the option of not spending time there, you know. Um, and I think the reason why it hits people so much, it's because 4,645 is, is a number. It's, it's almost, it's very real in one sense, very symbolic in another, it's contested, but it kind of doesn't matter what the number is. The point is that, you know, it's a number that came out of, as a response to the gaslighting that the government was doing. Um, and, but with this work by Gabriela, you give a, a, an identity to one of the people in, you know, who's reflected in this number. There's someone very real who had a very specific um, taste and he liked the sea, he loved the beach, he loved, um, you know, uh, taking photographs. You know what generation he was from because of the video, the VHS tapes and the, I think it's a Led Zeppelin t-shirt. Um, you know, you know who he was. And then with this other part of the photo of the photographic series of with the thread, you see the the it's a memorial to that connection um and to that bond between daughter and father. Um, you see kind of the, the, literally the bloodlines, um, but it's an attempt very fragile to keep that, um, that memory of that relationship, um, intact, um, which is very difficult. And also thinking of, you know, mental health conditions that are passed from, you know, one, uh, parent to their kids and, like really not knowing, um, but yeah, it's it's all of that and all those layers. I think that's what pe people get, and like, yeah, it's 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 been really great to see how, and that also, you know, Maria Elena, and when you work with artists, and sometimes you you ask artists for one specific painting, and then you put the painting in that's it's great and it's beautiful, but then there are other works that you kind of have to you process that with the artist and it's conversation and that work came out of that of like me seeing something I'm like I think I want to show this is that okay with you or how do you envision it and like that conversation back and forth so that would be a highlight yeah <laughs> which is so personal on both ends because I imagine for the artist it's also like um, uh, you know difficult to share how much to share right yeah with yeah. And, and being, making sure that, you know, that we're not pushing, that we're not asking too much, that um, Gabriela also installing, they could take a breather and like all of that, yeah. You know, and earlier about the importance of putting shows like this at museums. And I was also wondering about some of the challenges that that could bring as a curator I know that some of our listeners are people that want to be curators like some and, and what are the the I guess advice or, or or guiding light right to keep doing the work that we feel is important to produce and give to our audiences yeah there are many um and not all are institutional like you know when I read your question I think it was or or you know one thing that it 
that has been bothering me for a little bit of time. And it's when Nuxiste opened, there was also an exhibition of the American Society by Marina Reyes Franco that has to do with the Caribbean and economies of tourism. Um, then there's Carla's exhibition at um, the MCA in Chicago, <clears throat> but because New York is takes up and absorbs so much um, attention and we have a crisis in our criticism. Basically we have, you know, a handful of, you know, those art critics um, in the country. Like it, it takes to, so much energy and I would have loved, you know, it, for the benefit of everyone, um, also the scholarship around the field, like, let's put all of them in context and conversation. And, and so it, it kind of skews the field and that's not beneficial to anyone. So that's, you know, like that's one kind of very general overarching sort of arcing, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, something that we have to get better at somehow. <laughs> and that's a little outside of our purview. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I also think that we have to do it, you know, like, you know, you know, and it's hard because we're doing a lot in our institutions and it's so toxic, but um, we have to claim and, and create that space. And in a way, that's great that we see that and then that's something else that we can do. You know what I mean? Like, oh, another project that we can take on um, because, oh, but, but go ahead. I feel like I interrupted you. Um... No, what else was I gonna say? I think, um, oh, you know, when when it has to do with topics that are so political too, I think one challenge was to remind myself, the institution, people, the audience, that this is also about art. Not also, it is about art. So, you know, I couldn't make a hundred panels about sociological um, organizations, issues, you know, but at the end of the day, it's really about art and, and um, artists and what art can tell you that no other field can tell you, you know, what can you learn through art that, you, you know, um, journalism can't. Um, so sometimes, you know, and just in, in, in things that, not that what I hear, I don't know, like, I think the sense is always to go re, re, go back to, oh yeah, so how many schools have closed? Yeah, sure, that's important, but how do we see um, the failure of the government in closing schools reflected, or not reflected, but what, what are artists telling us about that? So I think that's also kind of a more general challenge. And, um, oh yeah, and, and I, it also depends on your team. And um, I think fortunately thinking, you know, reflecting on your, on this question, Maria Elena, that I think if I had done this exhibition when I started at the Whitney, it would have been a different story. But because my first show, um, the Pacha, had uh, Jorge Gonzalez, one of the artists, um, and we've always been bringing art from Puerto Rico to the Whitney through the biennials and whatnot. Um, but they, the registers 
for example, just to give you one example of institutionally one department, uh, the registrars knew that there could be challenges specifically during the hurricane season. So the register brought everything that was coming from PR uh, by June. I think in June, the works were already here because she wanted to avoid um, the hurricane season. And I'm so glad she did because- uh, So smart, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, learning or, or and, and, and for the institution to learn um, how to work in different contexts and, you know, probably bringing a work from an Andy Warhol, whatever painting from Paris is always the same, you know, it doesn't change, but there are um, specificities to um, these contexts that are less less known or or, um, or it's not in the kind of everyday practices of the departments in the museum. You know, you mentioned um, Carla Schott, MCA, Marina Schott, Medica Society, and you also mentioned other curatorial um, colleagues. Um, I, I wonder what does this show, like how does it also relate to uh, a bigger conversation about the state of Caribbean art now? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, you, you guys are the experts, um, so you <laughs> I would love to, see your reading of this. Um, I think it it shows something that we know to be true. And you know, you've been doing it in your exhibitions of Caribbean has a very particular set of circumstances that are unlike anywhere else in the world. And um, I think it adds one other element um, to this conversation of when we have colonialism or neo-colonialism, <clears throat> neo-colonial capitalism intersecting with um, the climate crisis and how much it will affect these regions. This this region in particular, in particular, um, as the first kind of wall to many hurricanes. Um, you know, we have a complete collapse of everything except you know, perhaps, you know, responsible citizens such as artists wanting to um, respond, critique, counteract these forces. Um, and so I think that's very particular to the region, um, including obviously the south of the US. Um, and yeah, I think we're, we're seeing more of this. Um, and yeah, even going not so much necessarily to the present, but you know, it's interesting the 1898 project that Taina Caragol is doing at the National Portrait Gallery. Um, Jasmine, um, I'm blanking on her last name at Colby, which is also a project about um, islands. Um, and you know, how, how back do, do these forces go? Um, of how you know imperialism has affected um, areas such as the Caribbean, um, probably the first one, and still continuing to this day, and not just the U.S. but other uh, colonial powers. Definitely. So I'm going to ask one last question before I um, also let my colleagues here, Melissa um, and Susie, ask 
these questions, uh, which is not the publication because it's a very, um, uh, it's a great book. So I, if, if and anybody can get it, even if you haven't show or if you're not in here, you can just publication online. So can you find there um, in the book? Yeah, I wanted the book to be a little, I wanted to experiment with the book. I didn't, with, I don't want to do something like the same old thing, neither with the exhibition. So I want the book to be kind of a, uh, an experiment in the sense of like, we don't have to have all the answers, um, you know, and that idea of speculating what the future could be um, in not based on, you know, I mean, someone saying, oh, I definitely know the history, so therefore I know the future. Um, that didn't feel very, that felt very authoritative. Um, so, the ex the book has my an introduction by me, and then three other essays by um, Ramon Rivera Cervera, who's at UT Austin, Carrie Ann Sotovega, professor at um, the University of Kentucky, Kentucky, and Marielena, um, Marielena, um, Marina Reyes Franco. And all of them are a little bit more traditional in the sense that they're tackling one topic, one topic related to the to the you know aftermath the last five years after the hurricane and kind of um, looking at it from performance or from artivism or from the visitor economy. It's just a concept that Marina works a lot with. And then there's a section of reflections. There's um, eight reflections by people who I call them kind of art adjacent or their adjacencies to the art vary. Um, but people who I feel like in the last five years have also, like the artists, have had an important platform um, that they're not spewing, you know, a rhetoric that's uh, that's a political cliche that is about oh, you know, pro, obviously not pro statehood. I don't think I would give a platform to that. Uh, pro statehood or pro independence, like it's not a political cliche. It's not bipartisan. Um, I wanted people to, you know, take a chance and write what they think from their perspective, from their individual um, fields. What, um, you know, how 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 the idea of the ex exhibition resonated to them, and you know, there's one by Angelica Negron, who is a musician, um, and I wanted to, you know, the question was like, what do you think is a um, future of of, of of sound in Puerto Rico? You know, and so just take a chance and and as you know, like free writing exercise and um, which is not you what you typically read. I think in catalogs, it's much more like um, peer reviewed, and you know you can you can find evidence of that, and um, and it can be backed up. You know, this is very subjective. Um, from people who are really sophisticated thinkers. Um, and these last five years, even though, you know, we're not talking about a 20 year career of writing in academia, it's not that kind of book, you know, this is, you know, as subjective as it, as, as it can get, you know, anyway, yeah. 
that's what you, you'll find in the book. I, I like that a lot because I also think that in such a topic that affected so many people, like um, we all have a stake on it. So so even if you might not be an artist, like you said, you still have a, a connection and something to say that is important as well exactly. from your point of view. Now, Susie, Melissa, do you guys have um, any questions for Marcella? Hey, Marcella, thank you for all of that. Gave a lot of insight. I'm in Jamaica, I can't see the show. So I wanted to ask, is there any online kind of access viewers can see aspects of the show or the show itself or walk through and what kind of programming you have that may be online that people could like learn more and see more perhaps? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for that question. We have, um, looks to, we have a lot of things. So, um, in, you know, with the show, we also, the museum, uh, produced four videos, um, or yeah, I think there was an introduction and then three episodes. So kind of long episodes of about 10 minutes each. Um, and in these episodes, it provides more context and it's the artists speaking um so it's about not all of them um it's some of them some of the artists in the archipelago in puerto rico and some in the diaspora so you get kind of both perspectives um so there it's about seven, five to seven of them i think interviewed um so you can watch those and that will, you know, give you, give you more context and give you a kind of a sense of the ideas that are uh, reflected in the show. Um, are I, they on YouTube or housed on the website? Yeah, they're on YouTube. You can definitely find them on YouTube. Um, or if you go to the Whitney site, every exhibition has its own kind of page. And there you see, you know, different tabs like, um, yeah, the, the episodes, the artists, images. I think there's an excerpt of my catalog essay um, and the introduction. So my essay in English, I think there's an excerpt, but also in Spanish, I think the full thing is there, but the intention is, and it will happen very soon of having the entire exhibition, uh, yeah, ex uh, catalog um, translated into Spanish on the website, downloadable for free. So that's coming up very soon. And we'll have, um, three conversations online um starting uh i think the first one is end of february um i i have to memorize the dates we've been changing them a little um but we'll have three of them with most of the artists in the show and um yeah there's we had a poetry event that was uh december 4th with um roque he we invited him to curate an evening of poetry. He came back with 20 poets, um, which I thought was like such a amazing mirror of the exhibition. Um, and again, also poets from Puerto Rico, poets from the diaspora. And um, I think there's a recording also on YouTube and on our site. Um, so yeah, many ways to engage with the show um, of, you know, we realize that not everyone can come, you know, still the pandemic so there are some resources out there great thank you marcella i have a two questions um one i would love to know what the response has been from the local community i know that new york local is 
expansive, right? But for people who have come in from, you know, neighborhoods or maybe some of the other boroughs coming in from, you know, Brooklyn or the Bronx, Queens, what have their responses been to the show? Um, yeah, I think it's it's been really positive. It's, um, I think people acknowledge that it's a hard show to see at some points. It's not, but they also, um, I've heard that there are different moments, you know, it's not all like you're, you want to cry your eyes out the entire show. There are also different registers of tones. Um, and so that's something that um, people talk about. Uh, I give a tour to the um, El Puente, which is an organization um, that works with um, diasporic, uh, specifically in Brooklyn artists um, and it's a community organization and you know they see their work reflected it's 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 what not you know many other organizations smaller organizations have been doing um, so they see their works seen um, and yeah I think that's it, it's been a pretty positive um, experience of also seeing, you know, the word colony in a museum, you know, and, and not tiptoeing and like educating people um, about what Puerto Rico's political status is and, you know, which is not something that is taught in schools very much. <laughs> right. Um, how has, how have, how have, how have institutions changed since Hurricane Maria? I mean, it's just short of it. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. I mean, I don't know. I, but, I know that. But, um, I think as Melissa asked me this question prior to, um, uh, but I think you also phrased it like in the island, like, um, how, yes. um, yeah, which is uh, like how, yeah. Um, how have institutions changed? I mean, I don't know if they have changed a lot they're still working and doing you know rolling up their sleeves and doing art um i think there's a you know there was a lot of money coming from foundations um so there's this i don't know what the word would be of tension but of like okay you're giving me money because there was a disaster so if there hadn't been a disaster you wouldn't be giving me money um so kind of this uh, slightly uncomfortable relationship to that, but you know, using the resources and I think a willingness to take them up to task, like, okay, you know, if you say you would help, uh, but like, where's the commitment here? And um, uh, I mean, I, I think in terms of exhibition making, it's, it's been as good as it was before. The hurricane. I don't necessarily see a change. Um, yeah, it's a very, and it's interesting because I just came from El Salvador, so I'm thinking of like different artists, artistic scenes, and how you know in Puerto Rico the small kind of artist-run galleries are really strong. Um, that's something that there's a lot of artist collectives in El Salvador, but not the same, and and that might have to do with different markets, but those 
artist-run galleries are were there before the hurricane are still there. They're showing really amazing, great young artists. Um, you know, hopefully the museums. The museums are really the ones that have to like. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of the Museo de Arte de Puerto Rico. Um, doesn't have leadership, so there's kind of a, a little bit of a crisis in, in museums in terms of the leadership. The Museo de Arte de Ponce had a lot of structural damage from the earthquakes, so I know they're rebuilding. Um, um, the director is amazing and, and kind of a really, you know, ambitious thinker. Um, so I think it's as good as ever. <laughs> I love it. Marcella, thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Very quickly, where can we find information on the show? Yeah, uh, you can go to the website, um, Whitney, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y dot org. Um, and then right there under exhibitions, you'll see um, No Existe. Um, and on the Whitney social media platform, there's a lot there. We're going to be doing also some Instagram takeover. Some of the artists will be doing that. And um, so there's a lot more there, a lot more content. content. I love it. And where can we find you online? Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram, Marcela C. Guerrero. And yeah, I think there's only one <laughs> with the C that's for Christina, my middle name. I love it. Thank you so much. And before we go, um, we'll close out. First of all, thank you very much to the GMCVB, the Greater Miami Convention and Visitors Bureau for being a sponsor of today's podcast. Maria, where can we find you online? You can find me on IG at Contemporary Chica. And Susie? I'm on IG too, Susie Wong Presents. And you can find us at Sugarcane Magazine on Instagram. Um, be sure to subscribe and share wherever you share your social media links. Thank you so much for joining us and we will see you soon. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everybody.